Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, September 27th, 2016, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. For over 40 years, Dr. Marilyn Joyce, a registered dietitian with a doctorate in psychology and biochemistry and human nutrition, has been inspiring audiences around the world as a motivational and inspirational keynote speaker, seminar leader, and trainer. She's been the featured guest on such major shows as Doctor to Doctor, Lisa, Montel Williams, Maury Povich, PBS, and Jenny Jones. Dr. Joyce is the author of the best-selling books, Five Minutes to Health, I Can't Believe It's Tofu, and her much-sought-after book, Instant Energy, The Five Keys to Unlimited Energy and Vitality. The former director of nutrition for the Cancer Treatment Centers of America, Dr. Joyce is a five-time cancer survivor, now a 27-plus-year thriver. She speaks to such organizations as Xerox, the FBI, Girl Scouts, Boeing, UCLA, the American Cancer Society, and many more. And her website is drmarilynjoyce.com. We'd like to thank Vanya and Fiona for hosting the switchboard this evening for any listeners that may have a question or comment. And uh, by the way, Fiona, um, happy birthday from last week. I (laughs) said it on the air even though you weren't here, but belated happy birthday. If you'd like to chat with like-minded people, we have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download any show in our archives on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page using the cloud with an arrow on it. We'd appreciate your support of our show, and you can do that by clicking follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notices so you know what's coming up. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. For those who need healing of any kind, for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will help. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And then if you want a stage 2 session to interpret that chart, please order it about 2 or 3 months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her fascinating starseed news. Hey, Anastasia. Hello. Good evening, everybody. It's great to be back with you. The weather is certainly changing. In my neck of the woods, we're having a a major cool down. It's gone from the 90s into the 60s. How about where you are, Ariel? Is fall arriving there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Well, summer's over. So there you have it. (laughs) And uh, hummingbirds are going to be migrating and all the other pretty little birds. And uh, the earth is going to be dressed in all of her beauty soon. So it is a lovely time of year. But suddenly and quickly it has changed. 
at least in my neck of the woods. Well, we have a geomagnetic storm in progress. It's arriving earlier than expected. It's a stream of high-speed solar wind. It's engulfed uh, Earth's magnetic field. It started today. The result is a G2-class geomagnetic storm that's in progress. They're telling high-latitude sky watchers to be alert for auroras after nightfall. This is a broad stream, and it could affect Earth's space environment for the next two to three days. Well, Elon Musk is going to outline his vision of the SpaceX mission to Mars and the eventual eventual colonization of that planet in our solar system. Uh, That's right. What do you think about that, folks? When Elon Musk takes the stage of the 67th International Astronautical uh, Congress in Mexico, today, as a matter of fact, it's ongoing, Uh, This space and electric car entrepreneur will be talking about realizing his boyhood dream, going to Mars. Musk's keynote address, entitled Making Humans a Multiplanetary Species, will tackle the technical challenges and potential architectures for colonizing the red planet. Wouldn't that be fascinating to listen to? Um, Of course, what it takes for this is huge rockets and big spacecraft, but you all remember, well, many of you don't, but way before the transistors were invented and the, uh, the chips, the computer chips and the little thumb drives and MP3s and digital music, uh, music came off of enormous phonographs with big old horn speakers. And uh, then, of course, it was uh, uh, tubes and everything was big. When, when, when things are first invented, everything is big. And they're talking about, at this stage, uh, uh, entering another planet or arriving at another planet in our solar system. We're going to have to have huge rockets and big spacecraft. But, you know, someday, maybe a couple hundred years from now, who knows when, we could all check with Star Trek and see how long that takes. Um, but <laughs> things will definitely get smaller. And, you know, really, I have to say this. I'm so sorry, but I have to say this. Ultimately, it's going to, we're going to find out it really does boil down to consciousness. But that's a, a subject for another time and another place. Anyway, <laughs> I got off track here. Musk, uh, I'm sure you all know, founded Space Exploration Technologies Corporation. That's his rocket launch company. He founded that 14 years ago. Where does time go? And he does have the express goal, the main goal, of putting humans on other planets to live and work. Look out, Mars, here we come. Probably been there before, and we're coming back. (laughs) So anyway, that's what's going on. That's pretty cool stuff, really. We've had a bunch of earthquakes this past week. We had a shallow 6.2 that hit off of uh, Nago, Japan, and a 5.9 off of New Zealand. Uh, Let's see, I think there was another, yes, off the Fiji Islands, we had a magnitude 6.9, and that's pretty good size. And so I'll tell you, due to the size of the quake, that uh, they said that there were no tsunami alerts, and uh, well, there was a tsunami alert, but no tsunamis, and no one was injured from that. Now, a little more close to home, we've had a shallow 4.6 earthquake that's been recorded off the Oregon coast near Brookings, uh, and that was the second uh, in that region in a space of five hours. Now, this did occur two days ago. Any of you live up in that area? Did any of you feel it? Um, they're considering these to be moderate quakes that rattled the coast of southern Oregon and northern California late Saturday evening and into early Sunday morning. This is according to the USGS. 
The five-point quake uh, occurred in the Pacific Ocean, 100 miles off, the, off of Gold Beach, uh, Gold Beach, Oregon. And uh, then a magnitude 4.6 happened about 100 miles off the coast of Brookings. So that's pretty much in line with one another. Um, interesting. Sounds like it's along a fault line, doesn't it? Both are 100 miles from the coast. Um, so they say that it occurred, occurred about uh, six miles down in the ocean floor. And the second one was further down, about 10 miles uh, below the uh, ocean floor. Now, neither of these quakes, and they're pretty small, but they didn't uh, pr prompt tsunami advisories. But they say that uh, news of an earthquake near Oregon is always sparking interest in the scientific community because they are doing a lot of talk about what they call the pending Cascadia subduction zone earthquake. And uh, that particular fault lies just off the coast of the Pacific Northwest. They say it's long overdue for a massive earthquake. Many predict it could be as strong as a 9.0 when it eventually hits. And uh, so everybody's watching that area. I guess they need something to do. But that's, uh, that's what's going on in the Northwest. And it is definitely worth mentioning. Well, in New South Wales, Australia, they are having a lot of trouble with flood water. They're having rising flood water that is expecting to inundate two neural, uh, north, um, New South Wales towns that they're predicting is going to cause power outages and sewage problems um, all over the place. Re re residents are being advised to evacuate as a river is going way high over the watermark. And uh, they're building barricades with sandbags, ba and uh, they're really troubled by this. Um, the rain started on, on August 30th. Now, this is September 27th. So they have had 2,343 calls for help, and they've performed hundreds of flood rescues. Now, what they're doing right now in preparation for this impact that they see coming, they're trying to save their livestock, horses, cattle, and sheep. Uh, they're trying to get those animals out of the way. So we want to send light to New South Wales in Australia. That's a terrible struggle going on right now, and an awful lot of rain. Well, you know, I like to bring you scientific studies, and I thought that this one was interesting. Uh, I tend to be somewhat of a rebel and go a little bit against the grain of what society said is the norm. So the shocking, the uh, excuse me, the, the headline itself is somewhat shocking, and I'm happy to share it with you. It is about the anti-anxiety effects of nicotine. Now, it is absolutely true that, according to studies and research, that a lot of it is con is concealed, but nicotine can help to protect the brain from Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. And this is according to a new research, but there's a lot of older research that substantiates these same claims. They say that nicotine, when given independently from tobacco, helps protect the aging brain. It has nicotine has a neuroprotective effect, and they say that it also uh, reduces appetite. Now, for the studies, they uh, gave uh, varying levels of nicotine to mice in drinking water, and they found that this caused uh, anxiety reduction in the mice. Interesting. And why do people say that they smoke? I have seen countless people get nervous and get anxious, and they go to have a cigarette. Well, there you go. Maybe it's not just in their heads. Maybe nicotine, according to this study, helps reduce anxiety. And this test was about nicotine independent from tobacco. So mm, there you go. 
That's interesting, though. Um, there's been plenty of other studies about the health benefits of nicotine and uh, increasing uh, brain power and so on. And actually, I have come across people recently that take nicotine pills. So there you have that. Now, Arielle, I know that you are going to be sensitive to this article, and I think a lot of our Starseed listeners are. This is a really wonderful story about horses. They say that horses can be trained to communicate with humans to express their feelings and opinions. Science has recently discovered, but horse owners and animal lovers already know that. But past research has confirmed that some species of animals, including apes and dolphins, can learn to communicate preferences by pointing at symbols. <clears throat> Excuse me, hay fever, you guys. <clears throat> Much like humans. And we know that apes and dolphins are intelligent. <clears throat> but now it's believed that horses are intelligent enough to tell their riders whether or not they want to wear a rug on their backs. You know, when you saddle them up, <clears throat> you put a rug on their backs. So what these scientists did was they used slices of carrot as an incentive for these horses, and they did this research in, in uh, Norway. Scientists from the Norwegian Veterinary Institute worked with a particular horse trainer to teach 23 horses of various breeds how to signal a human being if they got too hot or too cold. I often ask my mother when I was a child growing up, is the horse getting cold, is the horse getting hot? She would say, well, he has fur, he doesn't, it doesn't matter. But it does matter. Animals get uncomfortable. And this is a study of how they could signal humans. So anyway, first horse, uh, first each horse was trained to approach a board hung on a fence and touch it with the muzzle. The horses were then shown how to tell the difference between different symbols marked on the board to indicate the notion of blanket on, which was pictured by a horizontal bar, and blanket off, which was shown by a vertical bar, and a board that had no change, which was blank. Got that? Can you guys picture that? Mm -hmm. Well, finally, each horse was taught to associate a particular action with each symbol. So put a blanket on the horse and show him the horizontal bar. Take the blanket off, show him the vertical bar, and so on. Well, hot and cold temperature challenges were performed in order to help learning and determine the animal's level of understanding. So they say that although the speed of learning varied between the uh, varieties of horses, which is a whole other subject in itself, that by the end of the two-week training period, all 23 horses were able to go up to those boards and indicate, tell their human people, whether they wanted a rug to be put on or taken off. Isn't wow! Cool. Yeah. That's so far out. That's so far out. Wow. You know, when I read, I love animals. I know all of you love animals. We all love our animals. But we read things like this, and it's like, aha! Isn't that just incredibly cool? And I'm glad that science is doing this because it certainly is not a waste of money, in my estimation. Because you know what? People need to be made aware. So many times, people. Well, we've talked about on this show before about. Uh, the average person out there thinks animals are kind of dumb. And in my generation, we were told that animals were dumb and animals are this and that and they're different than people. And and with the callousness that I see going on in the world and the lack of empathy, many people love animals when they don't love humans. But still in all, there is a big need for compassion, understanding, and respect between human beings and 
beings of the animal kingdom. And I think that these kinds of research projects are really uh, wonderful. Uh, we can start teaching children early that animals are intelligent, and we're not just imagining it, uh, that we know that they are, and it's been proven. Don't you think, Ariel, don't you think that's a wonderful oh, thing? Absolutely. That, you know, our generation was taught something different, but science is taking a general twin now toward, I consider this part of the age of enlightenment, that maybe human beings are going to finally begin to understand what the ancestors and the aboriginals have known all along, that everything's intelligent. But I thought that was a very touching story. And uh, tonight I want to end the program with uh, uh, an article from Collective Evolution. Um, and it's about presence, the powerful practice of being in the moment. Now, you all know as well as I do, and everybody around us even that isn't a part of our, our let's say, our enlightened network of starseed people, the average people, person out there is suffering from terrible anxiety and distractions and concerns uh, regarding the stress and the complexity of life and the personal problems that each person has in their lives, plus all of the psychological baggage that we often carry around with us that trips our emotions. Often thoughts that go into the past or worries about the future predominate most of human beings. And in my work as a clairvoyant advisor, I see that constantly. And um, so very few people know how to be in the moment. <clears throat> if you've studied Buddhism, of course, uh, you're going to be taught and trained to do that. But being in the moment is created through an acute awareness of your thoughts, your feelings, and in your emotions. And in our society today, as I've already said, it certainly doesn't come easily. You know, we can't do that with the overstimulation of our senses. Technology, social media, work, family life, appointments, the never-ending to-do list, it always takes us out of the now and the present. And it will do what? It takes us into our memories and our worries about the future. And all of that brings up things that are disconnected from this present moment that we're in. Um, even anticipating our purpose in life, our mission, what are we supposed to do, when am I going to meet my soulmate, uh, when, is, when is this going to happen, when is that going to happen, this constant sense of waiting for something to happen, and even in that, even when that tugging is within us, I would invite all of us to consider that the way that we find our purpose and the way that we come to know uh, our place in this world is by being present in the moment. We are all feeling the pull of soul calling and of the importance of this time, uh, reaching out, lunging forward, learning, learning new things. Um, but we're not, I can tell you with certainty, we are not taking time to be connected to this moment. And this is a power of presence that we have to cultivate. It comes from creating the space to observe your own mind and yourself. How many of you do that? It's an ability. It's an, a skill. It's a skill uh, to look into, excuse me, and at our own lives and the lives of other people without attaching judgment or analysis. With this kind of an awareness, we do become mindfully attuned to all that is around us, not only through our senses and our physical sensations, 
but our hearts. You know, heart connection is critical to the progression of our souls and the ability to love and uh, to connect with the divine. It is uh, uh, a state of being uh, far beyond just a human temporary emotion. Love is what each one of you are, whether you understand that or not. And love exists within you as a wellspring of life and can be dipped into it at any given moment. You need nothing to be complete. But the thing that most of us are lacking the most is a deep connection to ourselves. And this the only way to get there, the only doorway for finding that treasure, the only path is into your own heart, into yourself, into the silence of the moment, the presence of the moment, pulling your thoughts away from the past, what happened before, um, and, and what's going to come, and to center on the breathing, to center on the feeling of being alive, and to begin to feel your own soul. Not the soul of your guides, not the souls of others who are helping you, yourself, your own divine presence. Without that, we are truly adrift. So studies have shown that uh, being in the present moment, the act of mindfulness uh, calms us down, gives us great clarity, uh, brings truly in divine guidance. You really can't have divine guidance under many circumstances unless it's an emergent state where you're in danger and your guides interject, quick, move out of the way, in that case, uh, divinity is always present, but when we are really seeking guidance on a deeper level about a problem or an issue, um, it we have to realize that it's the answer isn't out there. The answer is inside, and we have to pull our thoughts away from the future, what does which doesn't exist, and the past, which doesn't exist, and be in this moment because in this moment you are connected to the zero point of existence, to the divinity within you. All things are possible in this present. And as we come into this um, very onerous uh, time ahead of us, uh, as Americans and as world citizens, no matter what country you're from, there are challenges ahead. And your souls are very anxious to be vessels of light and to change you know, be the change that we want. As starseed, you are all incredibly beautiful, gifted beings. So I'd like to leave with you uh, the thought for this week that as the world pulls at your, uh, nips at your apron strings and torments your mind and uh, many things are going on and each one of you has your own particular kind of turmoil, that it is time to listen to simplicity and to... Listen to the call of your soul, which comes from within, and it is not ahead of you. It is not behind you. It is right now. And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to you, Ariel, for tonight's news. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Anastasia, for bringing us the Starseed News, and uh, I really appreciate your editorial comments as well. So uh, with that now, I am going to um, open up the microphone for our guest, Dr. Marilyn Joyce, as well as Lavendar, who is going to lead off the interview. So let me get the mics open. Okay. 
Welcome to the show, Dr. Marilyn. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, well, it's, it's our pleasure. So, Lavendar, you... Um, I'm here, set to go. I want to make okay, a comment good. on what Anastasia just said. In fact, I had opened up Dr. Joyce's book, and, and I want to read one paragraph. Live in the moment. Remember the past is like a canceled check, the future like a promissory note, while the present is your cash in hand. It's the only <laughs> thing you can depend on, so spend it wisely. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I just opened the book to read that before she, before she came on the show. So, Dr. Joy, cool. I love your book. It's really uh, well-written, and um, I can tell that you've had a lot of experience through through life putting this book together. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you came to write this book? Wow, that's a loaded question, Lavendar. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. I had always wanted to write from the time I was a little child. You know, at, at six years old, I told my dad and my mom I was going to be a writer. And mainly it was because my uncle was a writer and he was traveling around the world and it looked really exciting and romantic and whatever. So that was, you know, the, kind of the beginning. But the years go by and you fall into doing whatever you fall into doing. And uh, that was kind of what I did. And then, you know, lo and behold, I got to the place where I, you know, I was a runaway at 14, uh, running away from a schizophrenic mother and an alcoholic father, and then lived on the streets for a year and a half. And so that was kind of the beginning of my life. That's where I kind of learned how to be not just a survivor, but a thriver. And then I traveled around the world, hitchhiked around the world like a lot of people did in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, was a hippie, <laughs> I guess I would never have admitted it back then, but, you know, that was really my, my story then. And during that time, I lived with a lot of different cultures, and I think that's where I really learned about health and about how people could live very long lives and, and have, you know, a long, healthy life. So I kind of had those seeds implanted then and then ended up in India and studied yoga for a year and a half of really concentrated study and uh, experience, of course, as well. And so that was, you know, I had, that was my groundwork. And then, you know, the years went by, I went to university, got my degrees, did all those things because I thought I should. I had to, you know, I had this belief that I wasn't enough the way I was, so I needed to get all these degrees in order to be worth something. And lo and behold, I um, got to the top of my game in my career, you know, graduated from school, immediately, you know, opened a business and ran right to the top top of my game, only to then uh, discover a spot on my face which was diagnosed as melanoma. I was only 35 years old. I I had more energy than anybody I knew. I had no clue what melanoma was, but that's what I was told and just got out of surgery out of hospital with that and lo and behold I was rushed back in with misdiagnosed uterine cancer and by this point it was stage four and this was an older woman's illness I didn't know much about skin cancers uh, in the world that I was working in I saw a lot of chronic cancer patients with uh, uterine cancer ovarian cancer you know that type of thing uh, breast cancer, of course, and those the, all the older person's illnesses. And uh, suddenly, here I am, only 35, and I'm diagnosed with what I was told was an older woman's cancer or illness. And you literally could have knocked me over with a feather because when I heard stage four, 
with any of my patients or clients, I knew that that was usually supposed to be the end. And that's what they were telling me I had. So basically, therein began a journey. And I did go through three rounds of chemo only to end up, after spending more time talking to the great white telephone in the bathroom, uh, if you get my drift, then getting well, I decided to quit that and ended up uh, going, you know, literally leaving no stone unturned, looking for the magic bullet, the magic cure. And quite frankly, I didn't find any magic bullets or cures, but I did find lots of things that kind of took me into remission temporarily, and then I had another uh, bout of cancer. So I went through five incidences of cancer. And the fifth one was the one that almost took me out. I, was, I found myself in 1989, 88 pounds in a wheelchair, given less than two weeks to live and told to go home and take care of my affairs. I couldn't eat or drink anything. The only thing I could do was suck on ice chips. And that was when the miracles began. And I think it was because I had reached the place where there was nothing left to do. Uh, so I kind of turned it over to, you know, God and the universe and um, had really actually during that journey begun looking much deeper into what causes cancer and, and you know, discovered that uh, according to a lot of the research, it was unresolved emotional issues that would manifest themselves as tumors. And that made sense to me when I looked at the types of cancers that I had. And of course, that would be a uh, time when Louise Hay came out with her book, you can heal your life, uh, and you can heal your body. And uh, reading that, it was like, oh, my goodness, yeah, this, this just totally resonated, you know, that whole mind-body connection, and I would say spirit, too. But um, that was kind of the beginning of the journey back to wellness because I then hit on my miracle weekend. That's what I call it now, reflecting back, where I was introduced to Jim the Vitamix Man who was able to make an ice chip form of food so that I was actually getting nutrition and not just water, and um, with cantaloupes, uh, fruit, and seeds, you know, the part that most of us throw out in the developed countries, but they actually roast and eat in the, develop, in, the, in the developed countries we throw them out. In the developing countries, they roast and eat them. So basically, um, that was the, the Saturday, and on the Sunday, I was t- dragged off to a a whole day with Dr. Bernie Siegel, and that was a real eye-opener, you know, because he talked about the mind-body connection and about um, gratitude and what you focus on expands, and it was really, um, you know, there's no, there's no point looking back at what you did wrong, you, and there's no point looking forward, look at today and really make today work and be grateful for what you have right now in this moment. And uh, I was really resistant, to be honest, I mean, it was like, what do you mean? Be grateful that I'm going to die? Um, but in fact, uh, the first time, the first day that I wrote five gratitudes, they were all the same thing. There was, thank you for the sun, thank you for the sun, thank you for the sun. And that was because it was the middle of winter in Toronto, Canada, and you didn't get sunshine. So when it shone out for just a few seconds, when I prayed for a sign, um, I knew that the universe and God were giving me a sign. And so from there, um, a month went by, and I actually wrote a 138 gratitudes, and all of them were different. And so the way I, when I reflect back, it was that, I, one, I went from thinking about dying and about illness and about sickness to being grateful for whatever I did have. 
and that continued to expand and expand. And so 27 years later, I'm still here and have another big vision ahead. So, you know, it's uh, the real purpose of my life is starting to unfold. But it's, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. That's what I do well. You know, I teach. I simplify things, make them uh, digestible in five-minute bites for my clients and, my, and their family members. And I think that comes from what I went through. When you're when you're really sick, you don't have a lot of time. You don't have any energy, and so it's just how t- what can you do in five minutes? So that therein began this whole journey into writing the book Instant Energy. I had written Five Minutes to Health in the mid '90s, but it was really just a nutrition book uh, with a little bit of lifestyle. It was mainly the nutrition stuff that I taught my patients at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. And that became a book. But the real book I wanted to write was the book that was the whole mind, body, and spirit picture. Because in our culture, we tend to divide people into pieces, the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual. But the fact is, if they're not all working together in harmony, then we'll never get well and stay well. So it's about really working with an individual on all of those planes, those aspects of who they are at the same time and coming up with strategies that they can implement to help them on that journey. So that's really what the Instant Energy book is about. It, it's teaching people that you can get energy and you can do it in five-minute bites and you can take care of, you can have me time in five minutes at a time and you can take care of every part of yourself as one. That's amazing. I wanted to ask you, I, I noticed in the book it says Mesquite, Nevada. Is that where you live now or do you live in California? I actually live in California, and my business is out of Mesquite, Nevada. We, are, we originally were going to actually all move there. I had a, a partnership at the time, but my partners got married and moved off to Virginia. <laughs> okay. so, so it was like, okay, I've already got the company here, so what am I going to do? So we just kept it there, and, you know, I can go up to meetings up in that neck of the woods, which is kind of central to a lot of the people that I might work with. So, And then live in California, but I'm not in California for a long time now. I'm, I mean, I have been here for 30 years but almost, but uh, I'm actually going to be going on a global journey and uh, a peace mission that was a download from the universe one last September. And so it's taking all of this to the next level and really, you know, looking at you know, being the hell, live to tell, something I know a lot about over my life, and ask yourself what matters now. And so it's, uh, we're going to look at bringing people together in love and compassion and peace versus what we're seeing around us all the time now. And I believe that all the things that I've learned from my own cancer journey and all the things before that are what led up to, to this, you know. Well, you established the word energy as an acronym. Can you explain to us yes. what this acronym stands for? Yes, energy is an acronym. It was it's amazing, Lavendar, because what happened was I had the book done, and it was Thanksgiving morning at 4 o'clock in the morning. I sent it off to the publisher, and that was done, complete, finished, and it wasn't an acronym at that point. And I went to bed thinking I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to, you know, I had really healthy food prepared. I had all my accoutrements for a nice, relaxing bath, and I had eight movies I was lined up that I was going to watch. And uh, I went to bed at 4, woke up at 6, and it was like energy is an acronym. And you know how you try to put things down? Like, no, I'm not doing any more. I'm done. It's finished. It took too long as it was. 
Uh, but what happened was I just couldn't get back to sleep. So I got up, went to my computer, and in five minutes it was downloaded onto the computer. And it was really just each letter of that word energy related to exactly what I teach my patients in the exact order, starting from the breathing, which is the thing that I learned in India way back in 1970, was you have to exhale fully first before you can inhale fully. And most people don't do that. And when I do live audience uh, participation, you know, with large audiences, we'll get everybody to just breathe, you know, deep deep breathe in and deep breathe out a few times, and and then we'll do the, the next step. We'll exhale fully, blowing it all out, and then inhale fully, and people will feel the difference immediately. So it's teaching people how to breathe properly. And then the next step is nutrition excellence daily. Not monthly, not Monday morning, and not New Year's Day. Daily. (laughs) So it's teaching what that looks like for nutrition excellence. And the next E is exercise for cellular rejuvenation. It's not just exercise. What is going to exercise your cells at the deepest level? And so, you know, there's a whole chapter fit in fitness on in uh, instant energy with unique different unique and different kinds of exercises, including, of course, yoga, which was my beginning in that uh, realm. And then the next step is the R. And quite frankly, Lavendar, that is the one thing that most patients and clients I work with don't know how to do, they won't make time for it, it's the one step I have to work the hardest to get them to do. And it's just taking a five-minute time out, putting your feet up, breathing deeply, putting some relaxing music on, set your timer if you've got appointments that you don't want to miss, but take five to save five is my strategy. And I take five minutes now to save five years later, which is what I experienced because I never took time out either. You've got to rest, relax, and rejuvenate. The body needs time out. And it also helps you to become more creative when you take that time out so you're better at whatever you go back to doing afterwards. The G is for gratitude attitude, and it's probably one of the most significant things I learned in my own cancer journey was the, the knowledge that what you focus on expands, so why not focus on what you're grateful for so you can expand more of that in your life, people, places, things, ideas, whatever. And the why is, is for your five keys because in instant energy, as you can see, there's hundreds of strategies there. And so it's really what will you do? We say five minutes, five times a day, instant energy guaranteed. And quite frankly, if that's all you did were five five-minute segments throughout the day addressing each one thing, addressing each of those five areas that we just talked about, you can definitely create a different foundation for yourself. Now, if you can do it twice a day with each of them, great. But what we do then is we look at what strategies will you do, like meet the person where they're at, have them do what they will do, not what I think they should do. So it's customized for every person. I love the saying, why just survive when you can thrive? I just, I love that. Tell us a little bit more about some things that you've learned, your specialties working with cancer patients and their caregivers. Can you give us some energy strategies that they can apply to and benefit? Absolutely. Well, the one that I mentioned right at the top was breathing. And so one of the best ways for people to learn to breathe is to breathe into a count of four, hold to a count of four, and release to a count of four. And if that makes you dizzy, 
then instead, first of all, you're going to exhale fully first, fully first, so you can inhale fully first, and do that about three times, and then move into the breathing into a count of four, and it's a slow count, like breathing in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, release, two, three, four. So it's that kind of rhythm, rhythm and tempo. And, and then if you do have a problem and you start to feel a little dizzy doing it initially, then just hold for a count of two. But the holding process is so powerful for people that are dealing with any kind of illness, especially cancer, but it could be any illness because what you're doing and what I teach my clients to do when they're in that holding pattern with the breath is to send that clean, fresh air to, that's filled with oxygen. And cancer cells do not thrive well in an oxygenated environment. So send that oxygenated air to wherever those cancer cells are to knock those suckers right out. So it's like that, the, the, the um, breathing technique that I teach. And I mean, there's a lot more to it, but that's, you know, covered very thoroughly, of course, in instant energy. The uh, strategy for exercise, and I love, there's two things I'm going to mention here, Lavendar. And one of them is the, the exercise ball, you know. And you can get an exercise ball chair if that makes it easier for you, and it will also help you to develop a strong core. But that, by bouncing on that exercise ball, it really is a rhythmic bounce just as if you were on a, a mini trampoline or rebounder. And if you have a big trampoline, great. But that, that rhythmic movement does more than just exercise your body. It actually detoxes the lymphatic system. NASA has done a lot of research on rebounding, for example. And five to seven minutes of rebounding on a, a mini trampoline is equivalent to 35 to 40 minutes of fast walking or slow jogging. So, I mean, you can't beat the exchange there. But the the best part about it is that at the same time, you're detoxing the lymphatic system. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that we have our heart that is the pump for the cardiovascular system, our lungs, which are the pump for the respiratory system, but you're the pump for your lymphatic system and we know that, that is, that's the source system of the body. So we know that there's a lot of junk goes into that part of your body, and we want to get that filtered out quickly. So, you know, that's another couple of strategies. And you can do either of those, you know, whether it's bouncing on the, the exercise ball or bouncing on a rebounder. You can do that in front of the TV if you want. I always recommend, though, that you watch a comedy versus watching bad news um, while you're doing that because you're trying to clean your system out and laughter is one of the best medicines. So you might as well combine laughter with the bouncing. <laughs> so. That sounds good. You know, I noticed that you use this, use the, the number five a lot throughout, throughout your book. I, ha- I have something that, that I've been saying for a few years. It's called one, two, three, four, five, because six, seven, eight, you're too late. <laughs> oh, I love my- it. <laughs> favorite saying is that I felt I felt like that when you shake somebody's hand and you look in their eyes, you get it all like in five seconds because six, yes. seven, eight, you're too late. That's kind of the way I operate is is with that five second rule. But now you have something called the five minute rule, so I just wanted to share right. that with you. Oh, I love it. That is so good because it's true, isn't it? I mean, when I feel the same way when I'm working with a patient and I'm looking at them in the eyes. I can tell in the first five seconds where they're coming from and what's going on for them. So you're yeah. you're right on the mark with that one. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes you know you'll shake somebody's hand and the and the hair will stand up on your arm and 
and you'll think, oh, I, do, I don't really want to know this person. And then yeah. you say to yourself, oh, don't be like that. Give them a second chance. No, run. No, <laughs> That's what I've I discovered. Agree. My first impression Absolutely. is always the best impression. Yeah, and I think if, if all of us would just get in touch with that, I think that that's the truth for all of us, quite honestly, Lavender. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So tell us some more stories about your life and things that you've experienced. It sounds like, you know, being up in Mesquite, did, did you have a lot of UFO activity up there at one time? You know, I don't think I experienced that in Mesquite because I wasn't there enough, but when I went to Mount Shasta, oh, yeah. that was part, yeah. I mean, <laughs> had quite a summer there at one point and it was uh you know if I were if I shared it with a lot of the people I knew the the kinds of experiences I had no one would believe me you know the people in the circle down here in Southern California but there were it was pretty amazing very mystical I mean I had feelings that I was connecting to uh energy that was far beyond anything that I could visually see but I could feel energies and at at times I would feel as if as if I could actually see uh, a being there you know and I know the one thing that was very interesting when I was going through the cancer journey which was what actually ended up taking me to Mount Shasta for some time was that during my cancer journey um, towards the the last part of it the last year of it I was in hospital and I had a vision and it was a an entity called Sariel and um, at that particular point for me, um, Sariel began to speak to me and to, uh, you know, direct the show, so to speak, because I was up in Canada. I mean, I, when, when I was told I had no time, I figured I was taking care of things, and that was it. But that was not what I was getting from Sariel. And before I knew it, I was getting in a van, my van, in the middle of a snowstorm. And I'm just like, Sariel, this is insanity. What am I doing? But out of all of that, I ended up, you know, coming down to, first of all, New Mexico, which is one of my loves, and then over to Arizona, and finally in California, where I had a, a girlfriend here. We had been best friends forever, and we reconnected after 16 or 17 years of not seeing each other. Now, Serial was very prominent in all of that. In fact, I actually had an – I'm a scientist. That was my background, biochemistry and human nutrition. All of a sudden, after my first encounter with Serial. I started to carve little angels. I asked a friend of mine to bring in this wax. I didn't even know what, what I was asking for, but it was this wax that's used to make these uh, models um, for jewelry. And before I knew it, I was into making angel jewelry and T-shirts and sweatshirts and bookmarks and incense and the whole works. And I actually was called, before I left Canada, the Angel of, LA, uh, the angel of Toronto, and then I was introduced to the Angel of L.A., Randall Leonard, who produced Angels in the Rain and different kinds of music that was very angelic. And so and we talked into the wee small hours once I came down here about everything like this, you know, this whole concept of what, you know, what we can't see, that it's more real than most of what we can see, and that everything is one. And, I mean, that's the concept of this journey of 1,000 days that I'm beginning, is that we are all one at the heart and soul of humanity and, and the universe, we are all one. And when we realize that, that's when we can have peace because you can't drop a bomb on someone or kill someone if there's if someone you know and love. 
you know, and so it's really bringing everyone together. And, I, you know, from the time I was a little child, because I'm from Scotland, I'm a Scots girl from a wee village called Ochtermoxby. <laughs> and so I grew up with, you know, a different, my grandparents were very different. They had uh, gypsy squatters at the end of their property. And, you know, quite frankly, they were like family. And so I had that kind of introduction to a different way of thinking and being when I was still just a wee damn in Scotland and uh, never quite fit in when we moved to Canada with the particular neighbor, neighbors that we had, but, you know, made it through. Um, and basically the, the happiest times for me were, were when I was traveling around the world and experiencing people from all over the world who had different views, different attitudes, different philosophies, um, and, you know, some of them far beyond anything I'd ever experienced in my, you know, country upbringing in Canada. So, so you, you know, I, yeah. So have you experienced some shamanistic rituals or have you gone to native tribes and experienced oh, yes. things? Oh, yes. Tell that us about wonderful. some of those experiences, if you would, because I know our our <laughs> listeners would love to hear these stories. Oh, okay. Um, happy to, yes. Um, you know, for me, I've always, because I was from Scotland and we arrived in Canada and I was kind of, we were immigrants um, who didn't speak the same language as everyone we knew at first, um, it was very interesting because I felt like an outcast. And so who did I gravitate to most of the time in my growing up years? People who were also considered either outcasts or not fitting into the circle of uh, the norm, the status quo. And so basically, a lot of my friends were Native Americans, well, Native Canadians up in Canada, but, you know, they're all, all one, right? Native North Americans. And um, so what happened basically was that I had this real connection with, the, with what they were all about and, you know, just the way that they looked at life and how it was different from what I grew up with, you know, where we own everything and we locked the doors up tight. They didn't have that philosophy. Um, everything was open concept. And before I knew it, here I am. Um, I am actually working with Native Americans, and that was that was basically my step into it. Was as I was going through university, I I decided to take on as my community project. We all, we all had to have a community project, which was part of our. Uh, it was a thesis that we had to put together. I decided to work to make my community project working with Native American children, teaching them about nutrition because up in Canada, and I'm sure it's the same all over, but in Canada especially in the north parts of Canada, the, the food that was provided in the stores was abominable. It was bologna and white bread and candies and beer, not vegetables and fruits and healthy stuff. So these kids didn't know much about that. So there was a center in Toronto. I went into that center, made a proposal. Then I ended up working with these kids. And as a result of that, I ended up getting very involved. I was like the the token white girl or the token white person that was at the powwows and the, the um, you know, going through a lot of the, the various rituals that they had and attending a lot of their particular ceremonies and so on. I would be the one. And uh, I, it's much different today, but we're going back a long time. You know, I mean, I've been on this planet for 66 years now, so there's a, I've seen and done a lot. But that was a real eye-opener for me, and it brought me down to, that's how I experienced New Mexico. It literally brought me down to Taos, New Mexico, and Albuquerque, and 
Santa Fe, of course, is it. The, the, the bulk of what I did was around Taos and, and Albuquerque area, and then some parts of uh, Colorado. And I basically started working with the, the populations that were <clears throat> what we would call, uh, what we would term as diabetes today, you know, obese and uh, diabetes, and work with them on that. But as a result, the things I learned, the stories I heard, the experiences that I gained, it was what really opened me up to the, the fact that there's so much great more than what we what we know or what we're told or what we're taught, you know, like heaven and hell and all that. But because the whole cycle of life is that there's no real death. The spirit goes on. The body is here and it dies, which was totally in alignment, by the way, with what I learned when I was in India. And I learned, you know, that the, the whole philosophy that, you know, of, of reincarnation and living multiple, you know, hundreds of lives, lifetimes um, and, and hundreds of different lives. It was the same kind of thing, um, just that whole idea of the cycle of life, you know, from being born until you uh, transcend and then coming back and being born again and, trans, you know, going through life and then uh, transcending. So it was just this whole concept that was so, made so much more sense to me. The idea that we just come here, live this, you know, few decades on this in Earth, on Earth, and then we were gone, that just has never computed for me, and especially after growing up with grandparents who didn't think that way either, you know. So it was like I was introduced, at, as I said, at a young age to a, a much bigger picture of what it could be. So, you know, it, I will say that during my journey coming out of cancer and then for the years following when Sariel was with me continually, to guide me, and Sariel's always with me, but, um, but at that point I really needed, you know, strong guidance. And when I got dragged down to California, and in my mind dragged to California, because at that time I saw L.A., Los Angeles, as a uh, bed of, a hot bed of sex, crime, and violence, uh, you know, guns and whatever. And, um, and within a short space of time I saw a whole other Los Angeles, but it was, you know, basically Sariel's words were, this is where you need to be. This is where you have to be. And it was interesting because I, I, I fit right into this area. As much as I love New, New Mexico and that kind of energy and, and other places around the country, you know, that, that I love the energy of, this was where I felt like I was able to do the greatest amount of work both on myself and for the greater good of all the people that I met and, the peop- and beyond. And so um, I hope I'm making sense with all Absolutely. of what I'm saying. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you, what years did you live in New Mexico? I was back and forth in New Mexico between Canada and New Mexico between 1981, yeah, 1981 and, you know, right up until about mid-90s. Mid now, I was in California for those five, first five years of the 90s, but I would go back over to New Mexico on a very frequent basis. And also Arizona. I mean, I absolutely love Tucson because there's a spiritual vortex there that I can feel when I'm there, and especially when you go up uh, Mount Lemmon. You know, it's uh, Sedona. We always hear about Sedona, and definitely there's a, a tremendous amount of incredible energy there. But the energy around Mount Lemmon is amazing because there's so little, well, there's more population there now. But back in, you know, 20 years ago, there wasn't very much of a population. Where is Mount Lemmon? Where is Mount Lemmon? What's it close to? 
It's it's close to Tucson. If you oh, go Tucson. out of Tucson, yeah. If you go out of Tucson, if it's if it's blisteringly hot in Tucson, what people will do is get in their car and drive up Mount Lemon, and it's about forty degrees cooler up the top of the mountain. So <laughs> okay. And it's also incredibly spiritual. I mean, my grandfather really believed in fairies and angels, and so I was introduced to that as a wee wee a wee and um, and he would talk to them all the time. He grew amazing gardens. He would turn a dead garden that people, you know, you know any of any of the people that hired him, he would turn that dead garden into a lush green garden. And and he did it. All, when you'd ask him how he did, the fairies and the angels. And so <laughs> that yeah, I know it was amazing. And people thought he was daft, and he was this, you know it's a, an expression for a silly old man. But you know what? He was a happy man, and he was always talking to, you know, spirit guide, spirits, and to and getting guidance for everything he did, and he would share that openly. and um, And I think that really uh, was the groundwork for me being more open to things. I mean, I even remember I, I grew up, by the way, with parents who were completely closed. You know, there was no openness to. They were prejudiced about everything and everybody and any religion and any philosophy and any race, creed, you name it. Um, especially my father. But before my father died, that all changed. He spent some time with me because we didn't know if I was going to be here. So he, uh, we spent some quality time together, traveling together and just talking. And, and he, I, I do numerology as well. And so, um, you know, it's something that I did for years before, and I had two, two entities to myself, I guess you'd say, two, two, two personalities. On the weekend, I was doing psychic fairs, and I was uh, Marilyn Joyce, which is what I go by now, Marilyn Joyce. And I would do uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all day I was doing numerology readings. And then on um, the rest of the week, I was a dietitian, a registered dietitian who had my business five minutes to health. And, uh, uh, pardon me, recipe for better living. And I was going into corporate, into hospitals and doing corporate work for them and setting up policy and procedure manuals. So it was like two different personalities. And I remembered uh, Silverhand Sear, one of the other um, readers and, and mediums. He, he said to me one day, he called me over and he said, you've been in my I'd be sending messages to you, and I had been getting them, but I just hadn't had time to go and talk to him. And he was sending messages to me, and I would see him everywhere. You know, I would look out my, the window of my car in a snowstorm, and his face would be there saying, I have to talk to you. And he said to me, you've got to stop being two personalities. You've got to bring yourself to, together as one. And it was kind of, you know, as I was going through the cancer journey, I was realizing that that was part of the problem. I was not being true to myself about it who I am and what I believe in and what, what my philosophy for life is. And so I, when I did come down to California, the first job I had was working on the psychic hotline. And it was amazing. I mean, it just uh, I could feel the transformation within myself always, but, but I could feel the transformation with the people I was working with almost to a greater degree than most of the work I've done as a dietitian. Wow, of course, because you're a starseed. I can feel that. I wanted to ask you, when you were in the Santa Fe area, did you ever go, go up to the bathhouse called Ojo Caliente? Yes, I did. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. That yeah, I just kind of flashed on that. And when you were talking about New Mexico, I, went, I thought, oh, I, I bet she's been up there because that is really holy ground up there. And I, I spent a lot of time. I lived in New Mexico on several occasions in Santa Fe, oh. I lived in Flagstaff, Arizona, 
I, I had a, a house on Catalina for a while, and then in Glorietta, uh, uh, over on the other side of Santa Fe, in Cripple Creek, Colorado, yeah. I got around quite a bit. But that Ojo Caliente place, that that has it's, it's yeah. stayed with me all these years to go back to that place. It's almost like every time I go there, I get upgraded. <laughs> Does that yeah. make sense? It absolutely does. In fact, you you reminded me that was I have to add that to my list of places that I have to revisit because when I go out on the journey, we're going to do the pre-journey in the United States. It's a, the the actual journey of a thousand days is a thousand interviews in a thousand days, asking the question, "What matters now?" But what we want to do is start in the U.S. first because this is where I've been for you know almost thirty years, and I know a lot of people who have incredible stories to share. And so we're going to do it here. But one of the one of the places I'm definitely going to is to spend some time in New Mexico revisiting the places that really uh, centered my soul, you know, in, in a bigger mission, a bigger, bigger purpose, because this is a big mission. Well, and you so know, it burned down, so they've rebuilt it. It's all brand new. Oh, my goodness. I did not know that. Oh. The water. Wow. But the water's. Or still yeah. the same. They just, you know, right. they just. Uh, uh, remember when we were there, it was kind of rustic and. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> but now, yeah. it's, now it's kind of like five star. It's five star now. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> that happens to some of the best places, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, I know. So, well, it's not, tell us more about this thousand thousand day journey. Well, you know, it, it, sometimes you have to be literally brought to your knees. And I had a lot of personal losses, people that I loved and, and people within my family that I, I, I so de- deeply loved uh, died suddenly or took their own life. And, um, and basically I ended up waking up uh, from a, just a, a series of nightmares. I lost my home. You know, I, I bought a house that was the mortgage on it was three times what the actual income that came from the house was. It was just everything was upside down. And I knew that on a deep level, because I could do enough of my own numerology to realize that I had not been living my mission. Um, When I turned 50, that was when I should have been heading out on the road doing what I'm now going to do at 66. But, you know, it's always the perfect time when it happens. But I went through a loss, and then I moved into a a rental home, and it was, from the day I moved in, it was a nightmare. The people would enter without any warning. And I was paying 2000 a month to have no privacy, no ability to, um, to live a normal life. And so that was something that was going on. And then I found out the house was up for sale, even though they told me it wasn't. And so realtors were swarming in and out. So I literally had this whole year of hell in my mind because I'm a very private person. I really wanted, I like to have my time to meditate without interruption. And I, you know, when I work with patients, it's very, in, very deep and intense and, um, uh, you know, meaningful stuff that we do together. Anyway, long and short of it was that um, last September, a year ago, I uh, had a recurring nightmare of being, this sounds crazy, but of being axe murdered by my landlady's son-in-law, who was the one who used to come in all the time. And it was, I had to, it was so real, I woke up my neighbors with blood-curdling screams. And so, you know, it was like, after that, the third time it happened, and my poor neighbor next door, who was a, a retired RN, 
uh, was, she says, you're, you're going to have a heart attack. This is terrible. You're shaking so much. And I was. I was shaking so badly, you know, the trembling that was so intense. And so I, I went upstairs, and, you know, one of the best things you can do is to, have, is, is to stand under a shower, or a waterfall is even better. But I stood under the shower for quite some time until I was calm. And then I came downstairs, and Lavender, I looked at all of my beautiful things. And, I mean, I had gone from a 4,200-square-foot home to an 1,800-square-foot home and gotten rid of a lot of stuff. But I had all these beautiful things that I thought I could never part with. And all, all that went through my head was you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Over and over and over again. And then I said, I meditated for three hours that night and prayed like no tomorrow. And I said, I want to wake up tomorrow morning with the answer, what is this about? And the next day it was like words written across the sky in the room, you know, across the air, whatever one says when it's not outside. But it was across the sky for me. I wake up and see the words journey of 1,000 days. And I'm like, I still still don't get it. But I wrote it down. And um, about two or three days later, I'm, you know, begging for, you know, okay, what does this mean? What am I supposed to do with this? And I was having a a call with a friend of mine who I was kind of coaching. We coach each other. Um, She coached me in business stuff. I coached her in life stuff. And um, she was having a meltdown. And this is a woman who's a multimillionaire, never has to work again in her life, but she was feeling like nothing was working. So I was reframing everything for her about her life and what she had to be grateful for and all the rest of that. And then I just asked her the question, so what matters now? And we both stopped dead in our tracks, Lavendar. I mean, it was like just, you know, that moment of realization. And she knew what I was going through as well. And she had actually been out there when I was being tormented uh, with constant realtors. And she said, that, we both said it at the same time, that's it. it. When you've been to hell, live to tell, after losing someone, something, or everything that you thought was important, you've come to a place of asking yourself, what matters now? And it was the, for me, it was the, the right then and there, global bring people together. I was constantly saying that I don't want to hear another piece of bad news because I don't want to hear anything about this nation doing that or that nation doing something else or we're to to blame for this. We're human beings. We're all one. I've always believed that since I was a little child. And so how can I bring us together? And I've done a lot of peace missions. I, you know, before the wall came down, I went into the Soviet Union and spent six months there doing a peace mission and videotaping. Uh, to create peace, you know, asking people, what do you want in your lifetime? And everyone said, from little three-year-olds up to 103 years old, peace in our lifetime. And that has run through me ever since. And at this point, it's taking that vision to the next level and bringing people together. And that's, I'm a, what they call a connector. You know, that's, that's what I do well. And I love interviewing people it's fun to be interviewed too, but I love interviewing people and getting to the heart of what matters now. Because can you imagine all those stories that people can share that can bring us together from little children? You know, have your children watching these Periscope videos or, you know, Facebook Live videos or whatever medium we can use to bring these videos to people through 
the blog I have at journeyofthousanddays.love, and then also, you know, through social media. So it's just really getting all of this out there. The world is so small now, isn't it, that this is the perfect time. So so a thousand days, uh, see, how many years is that? That's uh, It's just about three years. Three years. So are you going to take off and travel and be a gypsy? I am, you know, it's, I'm, I'm going back to my roots because, you know, one, I, I grew up the first five years of my life with gypsies, and then secondly, all through my adult life, my friends would always call me Gypsy Lynn because I was, it was, what trip are you going on now? What trip are you going on now? And I'd always go for a, a one-month trip and end up six months away, you know? <laughs> so, so, yes, um, it's going to be constantly on the road. We're looking at different ways to make that happen. We know that it's probably going to have to come from sponsorship and fundraising um, predominantly. So, so that's are you what taking a group at. with you or are you and your friend doing it together? Actually, it's, it's predominantly just me, uh, but at different places I will be joining with people or people will actually people will be joining with me. So I've got some photographers that are, you know, uh, world-class photographers who said that they want to be part of this. They want to come and do the photography and do some videotaping. And, you know, so the, in different places, there's going to be different people that are going to be joining me along the way. And we're looking also at another um, option for, for at least one of those years with a group called Remote Year. And that's where you go to 12 cities. You can go out from those cities, but 12 cities around the world. But the major thing is that most most of these organizations don't go into the Middle East. You know, friends think I'm crazy, but to me, I think that the world is, it's a whole world, and the Middle East is part of that whole world. And so I'm, you know, I don't have a lot of fear about going places. Um, I feel like I'm protected. If I go, if I follow my, the, the, the calling and the messages that I get, and I follow my gut, which, of course, is, you know, spirit guidance. If I do that, I will be where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be there. And it's really, you know, people say, well, have you got it mapped out? You know, truly, the best experience I had in, was in 19, this, in the, the 60s and into the 70s was traveling around the world, hitchhiking around the world, and going wherever I was called to go. And I ended up living with 17 different cultures. I, I saw many more, but I actually lived with 17 different cultures for periods of time and learned about their culture, you know, and that was, I, that's what opened up my mind. That's so are you going to go back to some of these places that you went to before? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I love it. I, and, and it should be filmed. I, I see you doing a movie about this. That's what we've, a few people have suggested that, and I do think that that will be something that will happen. You know, it's a, I think the first year is going to be kind of setting the groundwork and then from, the, you know, getting used to doing the videos and so on. But then, um, you know, quite frankly, I could see taking a lot of the different videos of some of the best and most um, heart-wrenching but um, heartwarming at the same time stories and, um, you know, sharing them with the world as a film together as one, you know. So, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many possibilities. How about having your own channel on the Internet on, on YouTube or something and people being able to travel with you through YouTube? Well, that's what we did. We set up uh, we we set up all the channels. There's not much on that. The Facebook page is the only thing that's really got a, a bunch of stuff on it, and a bit of the stuff is on the Twitter page. But um, you know, it's the journey of 1,000 days is uh, is is the Facebook page, 
and then it's journey thousand days because you can't use the whole word, the whole um, sentence for Twitter for the handle. But, you know, we've got it set up with, <laughs> I know, it's so crazy, Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, YouTube, Google, Facebook. We've really set it, LinkedIn, we've set up a group. Now, there's nothing happening in that group right now, but that's one of the places where we could feasibly see it happening. Or we might just end up having a really active group on Facebook, you know, the, where people come in and maybe once a week we meet and, and I talk about the highlights of what's happened that week and share some of the, you know, stories and then get questions from people about what they would like to hear more of, as well as inviting people to share their stories. You know, that's one of the things that I want to have contests where we have people actually send their stories in and then we videotape them through Skype or um, I, I was going to use Blab, but Blab's no longer there. So uh, Facebook Live, you know, there's all kinds of medium, mediums now that we can use. I think that's the thing. It's like now, now is the time. Now is the time. Well, that's the key. That's the key phrase for activation. Now is the time. We've known that yes. for many, many years. You know, as you're talking, I feel like that you're really going to do some high activations for a lot of people. And you've been doing it probably all your life. You have an electromagnetic field that activates people wherever you go. But now that you're going on this journey, I feel like your upgrades are really going to be noticeable and that yeah. so many miracles and so many things are going to take place, especially with people that are star seeds. Yes. I I totally agree with you, Lavendar. You know, it's like the people that have come into my life since I actually started to be open about all of this, the people that have come into my life are amazing. They're so advanced, and there's the miracles have been, I just, I can't even count them anymore. You know, if I have a down day, I just have to go into my journal where I've written all these miracles out, and I will be blogging about all these things as well. You know, we're, we meant to have the blog going a lot sooner, but we had some technical issues. But soon the blog will be happening, and that's where a lot of the things that have happened up to now will be shared, but also, too, and, and hopefully by, you know, video as well as by writing. But well, by, I would like know, to, to invite you to be able to come on. Uh, you know, we're on Tuesdays at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. So in your travels, uh, you know, if you let me know, you could, you know, we have uh, the news, and then we could have you come on for like five minutes and tell us where you are and what's been going on, and we can keep up with you that way. That would be awesome, Lavendar. I would be, love that. You'd be um, um, talking to all the star seeds that are all over the planet. I mean, we have a huge listening audience all over the world, and I think that yeah. would be very beneficial for, for all of us, for you to share with us your stories uh, on our show. Yeah. That would be amazing. Thank you. I would be honored. So you stay in Yay. touch with me, and you let me know when you're getting ready to launch. I will definitely do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I also want to take a look at your chart. I, I know your star seeds, but I can't wait to have your birth information so I can check it out. If you if you don't mind sending it, email me your uh, where you were born, the time, and your and the date, and I'll I'll certainly take a look at it and get back. To I you. will do that. Absolutely. I will be happy to. I'd love You're to. One of us. <laughs> I know that without a doubt. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so at this time, I, I would like to um, um, share you with Arielle, who is my co-host, and uh, she has a switchboard. There may be people that want to call and talk to you. So back to you, Arielle, and we'll talk again, Joyce, okay? That sounds great, Lavendar. 
Thank you so much. This is wonderful. Sorry. Hey, um, that is just uh, amazing. I love listening to your journey, and I know that there's way, way more to it than what we've had time to cover (laughs) this evening. But um, at this time, if anyone listening has a question or comment for Dr. Marilyn, please um, just press 1. If you're already on the switchboard, all you need to do is press 1, and we'll know that you want to come on the air. If you're listening on the computer, then uh, you need to dial 917-889-8292, and then once you're in, press 1. And um, it may take a few minutes for that process to complete if if we do have anybody with uh, questions or comments. But... um, while we're waiting for that, you said that you you lived and learned through 17 different cultures. I, I think that's fascinating. Did you notice um, similarities I in did. diverse cultures? I mean, you know, the, the fascinating part was years later, of course, the whole idea of the Blue Zone was written about in National Geographic, and that when they talked about the nine, I think it was nine different um, things that were similar about the people who live over 100 years of age, what was similar about their life and their and their lifestyle. Um, these are the things I noticed. One, people didn't eat junk food. They didn't even have it. So basically they were eating food in its most natural form. They might have cooked some of it, but basically it was in its much more natural form than processed food. And they didn't have hormones and antibiotics added to anything. They didn't have genetically modified foods. So in the food world, everything was pretty close to back to basics, and it was whatever grew really easily in their culture. And, of course, it was wild game meat, and, you know, uh, if it was domesticated, it was domesticated out in the field eating grass and natural things. The people also had a very robust social life. They had community activities on a regular basis. Um, They had their uh, siesta at some point in the day. For some cultures it was later in the day. For some it was middle of the day. But they had this time out to just like a happy hour, you know, where they'd get together and have a coffee or a tea or something like that and just talk about the weather, about life, about their kids, about, you know, about spirit, whatever it was for them. Um, They did have a spiritual sign as well that was programmed into pretty much every day, whether it was early in the day or throughout the day or at the end of the day or, you know, uh, not so much just one day a week, kind of like we do, but, uh, you know, it was all the time they had incorporated that into their lives. Um, Many of them, uh, the, the exercise, you know, was the big thing, too, that I noticed was that they exercised naturally. It was walking. They might have run between places because they had to get somewhere fast or walk fast, Uh, But it was mostly walking. So, like, for example, if they had their evening meal, which was usually the lighter meal of the day uh, at the end of the day, they would then go for a walk, and they'd walk and talk. They'd go and talk to their neighbors, or they'd walk about five or six miles, and during that time stop and talk to a lot of people. But they were walking. They uh, They worked hard. They didn't think about a thing called retirement. You know, it's when people say to me, so when are you going to retire, Marilyn? And it's like, retire? <laughs> I can't even imagine what that would be like. I mean, life is for living. <laughs> so, you know, but, it was, but that's the thing that I didn't notice, that they never, they had a good outlook on life, despite whatever uh, they might have lacked in physical material things. They never, it was as if it didn't matter. They, they, their joy for life was always present. 
and they always had a big laugh. Even if many of them had a toothless laugh, they had a big <laughs> laugh, and they and they enjoyed co- connecting. You know, so those were some of the key things. I'm sure there was a lot more, but those were some of the key things. I think the community thing was the thing that really was so powerful for me because I grew up where you know it was all kinds of uh, negativity, and if you weren't this, if you were this religion and not that religion, and it was just a lot of division, divide and conquer. But with these cultures, that didn't seem to exist. They were all in it together, so to speak. If somebody was and, down, and across their community came to them. And across the generations as well. Oh, yeah. And actually, that was one of the big things, was in all of those cultures that I saw, that I lived with, where the people were living older, healthier lives, there was a great respect for the elderly. Um, you know, it wasn't like you're old, so we'll just sweep you under the rug. You know, it was a, instead mm-hmm. it was like, let's really get some information. Listen to the stories this person has. They have lived a full life. What have they learned from it that we could hone something from? And so there was big that big um, aspect there of respect for your elder. You know, with each generation, they respected the elder above and above and above uh, in age. But um, but also, too, that overall respect for somebody who was an elderly person. And I think that keeps a person alive when they're respected and people want to hear their stories and, you know, they just want to hang out with them. I know for me, I'm, people always, they never can guess my age as what it is. And I think part of it is because I just, you know, I, I have so many people around me all ages, including a lot of young people. You know, so the youth keeps mm-hmm. you young as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keeps your mind yeah. active, you know. <laughs> well, and that um, was another thing too was active mind. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they say if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, right. I, I, <laughs> we don't appear to have any uh, any callers with questions this evening. So, if there was a, a message that you would like to um, give to our audience in closing, now would be the time. Oh well, I'd love to. Um, well. A couple of things here. One, I just want to mention the whole aspect of, again, of the living in the moment. I think that the hardest lesson for most of us is to stop. When you're going into fear, that means you're out of the present moment. And fear is false expectations of appearing real. You know, I love that acronym because it's true. And when you live in the moment, there's no room for fear. There's only room for what are you going to do right here and right now. Or, and it could be as simple as not doing anything just taking some time to enjoy the, the sun or the cloud configuration or the hug a tree or whatever. Um, you know, it could be that. But it's just take the time. If, and especially if you're feeling stressed out, stop whatever you're doing and just be still. And just be in your, get inside your, your soul. And if you've got problems, simply asking in a quiet, centered space, which you can't do if you're looking at your computer or your cell phone. Shut them down and go to that place within and just ask the question, what is the solution? And then let it go. And just be still in the moment. And then when you go back to whatever you're doing, you know, just be in that moment doing that. I think multitasking is probably one of the worst things that we have um, created in our culture and in the world. Um, there, multitasking takes you out of the moment. And so it's when you're in the moment and you're doing one thing and you are focused on getting that done properly, even if it's not doing anything but being still, 
you're going to get a whole lot more out of it and you're going to get a lot more done if you are doing something. So that's uh, that's one thing I'd like to say. And then also if people are interested, I do have my 10 top tips, five-minute strategies that I've been teaching for a long time in a, a, a report that people can get at a website called 5minuteenergytips.com. So it's the number 5-minute energy tips with an S. Dot com and they can get you know ten and it includes everything mind body and spirit so it's a really good overall look at what you can do five minutes at a time to get yourself centered and healthy on every level. Well, that's excellent. So you do have several websites um, of your main website, drmarilynjoyce.com, and yep. five five minute and that's singular five minute. Yep. Um, energy, yeah, five-minute energy tips. Five-minute energy tips, and that is that dot .com? Yes, it is, dot .com. Okay. Yeah. Well, this has just been really delightful, and I think you've got a great message. You've got a, a fascinating um, history and, and your thousand-day journey. Um, we really want to follow that and, and kind of help in the in – the, um, you know, sharing of what you're doing. So please do um, call Lavendar and uh, we'll get that set up. Thank you so much. This has just been an absolute delight for me too. Thank you. Well, wonderful. And I'm sure that our audience is very appreciative. And um, so right now I just want to thank you so much for joining us and it's been our pleasure to have you as our guest. Mine as well. Thank you. You're so welcome. So from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, have a great week and remember to count your blessings every day. Good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 